This week on Heads and Tails, we interview Alicia Jensen, who's a former soccer player that suffered a severe concussion in 2012 and has been suffering from post-concussion symptoms ever since. Her story reminds me of a Chumbawamba song that kind of goes like this. She got knocked down, but she got up again. Those concussion symptoms aren't ever going to keep her down. This is Kevin Som, you're listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. Right, so I'm interviewing Alicia Jensen today. Uh, she's um, uh, She was a soccer player, and now she's a student at uh, Towson University, but she's done a lot of speaking engagements, and she's very um, involved with speaking about concussion awareness, and I actually met her through the Knockout Project uh, that was started by Jay Fraga, I think. Fraga, Fraga, Fraga. I, I'm going to interview him soon, so I guess I'll figure out how to say his last <laughs> name then. Um, but right, if you want to just start by talking about like when you started playing soccer, maybe um, what injuries you you know suffered um, in, during your career, and then obviously we'll we'll get to the concussions and you know what the the aftermath of that was. Um, okay, so I've been playing soccer since I was maybe four or five years old, since like peewee. Um, and my first big real injury was, you know, nothing more than, you know, broken bones or anything like that. Um, concussions, huge. April, tw- April 21st, 22nd, 2012, I received a concussion playing soccer, and that was the last time I ever played. So um, how did that concussion happen? Well, you're like heading a ball. Did you collide with another player? I, um, a girl, I think to the left of me, see, I don't remember any of this. So this is what I was told. Um, a girl to the left of me kicked the ball to the left of the side of my head, my left temple and completely knocked me out. So you were unconscious um, on the field. Yes. Um, but I just got up. I was super dazed, had no idea where I was. Um, but I just wanted to keep playing. So I kept playing. Um, and the game was stopped for maybe a minute just to make sure I was up and okay. There was no concussion testing, no baseline or no sideline testing, no nothing. I wasn't pulled out. So there's no athletic trainer on the sideline. What was the deal with that? There was no athletic trainers, just coaches, parents, and the refs. So no like medical help for any of that. And this is at um, your high school? No, it was a travel team. So okay, travel team. All right. Yeah. So that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, and then I kept playing and I was never taken out of the game. So then in the second half, um, I remember my dad telling me that he knew there was something wrong because I was definitely not as fast as I was. I was, you know, super slow, I guess you would say, like mentally and everything. Right. Um, and because of that, I think my reaction time is very slow. So at the end of the second half, so at the end of the game, um, I was standing at the half field and the goalie had kicked the ball and it hit me in the front of the head, completely knocked me out, period. Everything was black, gone. I was out again. Um, and so I was like a freak uh, thing that happened or. Yeah. So I think it was just my reaction time was super slow and my body wanted to move out of the way because the ball was coming towards me. Right. And you know, the usual reaction is either to, you know, head it or trap it with your body and bring it to the ground. And I just think that my mind was not in sync with my body from the first hit and just completely, I was out gone. And then that was actually the last play of the game. 
So there was no stoppage, no like concern or anything. It was just like, all right, we should get up. Let's go. Yeah, let's go home. So that's yeah. interesting that you say that because I interviewed a, um, a chiropractic neurologist last week and he was yeah. saying that when you get a concussion that, you know, your proprioception and your kind of bodily movements, you know, don't work as well. So that sounds like that was the case for you. Yeah, it definitely was. I just like, I, from hearing, you know, the story, hearing like of what was going on from my teammates, you know, they kept saying I was, you know, asking questions like, where am I? What's the score? Who's their best player? You know, like, because as an athlete, you have this mentality to just keep going and not stop, even if you're injured. And like, I knew something was wrong because like, obviously I was just like completely dazed. So, like, I, I would figure that I knew something was wrong, but, like, the athlete inside of me just didn't want to stop and, like, go to the sidelines. It was a really important game, and we needed to win. We had no subs left. So it was like there was no – even if I had left, we would have been one player down anyway. Right. So I was like, I have to keep playing. Um, and then after my dad had said, you know, like, I just sat in the car, and on the way home I was just like – super avid, super lethargic, like, so just like completely not myself. And I actually had a sweet 16 that night, went to the sweet 16 for maybe 15 minutes before I was sitting in the bathroom, just throwing up and my head hurt so bad. This part, I remember my head just hurt so bad. And I called my dad and he just got home from dropping me off. And I said, you have to come get me. Like, I just don't feel well. And at this and point, you thought it was a concussion or no, we, I had no, no idea. idea. Still had no I idea. All right. Never previously educated on concussions, period. Like I couldn't, I think my um, older cousin had concussions. So like, I kind of knew a little bit about what it was, but I just never, you know, like was educated properly on what they were and, you know, the symptoms and how to treat them and what to do. Right. Get them. So it's a lot different now than it was before. And that was just four years ago. So, um, I had went to school the next day. I had, you know, I went home after the sweet 16, I laid in bed, went to sleep and just completely felt sick. Like I just knew something was wrong. My parents knew something was wrong. They wanted to take me to the hospital that night. And I said, no, I don't want to go. I'm fine. I had a big, why, why did you say that though? You said that you knew that something was wrong, but yet yeah. you told your parents a different thing. Because I think, like, I had a big lacrosse game the next day, and I was just, like, I was on varsity, and I was a goalie, so it was, like, you, you need your goalie, and I was, like, I can't let my team down, like, I have to go. And if you don't go to school that day, then you can't, you can't play, play right. after school. So that's interesting, too. It just made me think of this as, like, maybe if that wasn't a rule, like, you weren't, like, coaches weren't allowed to sit players for missing you know school that that could have an actually an impact on concussion management so I, yeah. I actually never thought about that until you said that yeah interesting so it's like a big you know if I had said something to my athletic trainer about getting hit in the head you know possibly from what you know they tried taking having to take the impact test they try you know you it was you have to take the impact test before you play a sport in high school Every season, you have to take the impact test. So everybody usually, usually, like, 
cheats a little bit so that if they do get a head injury or something, then their scores will be better than they were. So they Are you saying playing. that this is something that you did or that your friends yes. did? Mm-hmm. So, so why, yeah. yeah, I want to talk about why you, you guys cheated on that knowing um, that it could affect you in the long run kind of thing if you, uh, you know, play with a concussion. I think, I think we just didn't take them seriously and, and we knew the protocol, sorry, and we knew the protocol, like, of what would happen if you did have a concussion and that was, you know, you weren't allowed to play for a couple of days or weeks and, like, you had to sit out of games and you had to sit out of practices and knowing what I do now, I was, you know, an idiot for doing that. But at the time, it seemed okay because even if I did have to take the impact test, it would be fine because I would pass and I would be one step closer if I had to retake it again for getting hit in the head and I'd be one step closer to getting back on the field. So it is very common for students to do that. So were you aware of uh, post-concussion syndrome and like second impact syndrome? Like when you, you know, were faking your, your scores on the impact test? Nope. I in, in case people no don't know what the impact test is, it, what is it? It's um, it's like a computerized baseline test for concussions where they, they test your reaction memory. time, memory, and what else? It's a reaction time, memory, and like vision, something with your vision. And it's like, I think it's like maybe 45-minute test. And for at least for my school, it was you had to take it for every season or you weren't allowed to play, so they needed some sort of baseline. Right. And that was a big thing because they, for me as a sophomore, I had done the, I had done the impact test at the beginning of my freshman year, but I didn't do it for the beginning of my sophomore year. So when I had gotten the concussion and I had gone to my athletic trainer, I actually, you know, I, my parents said, you know, something's wrong, went to the hospital, and after that whole, after they had diagnosed me with a concussion, I had to go to my athletic trainer, tell them what was going on, and they had no baseline for me for that year. So I could have gotten in a lot of trouble, and my coaches could have gotten in a lot of trouble because I did not take the impact test at the beginning of my sophomore year. Was so there a reason no why? Or... Was there a reason why you didn't take the test? I just think, like, I just didn't. I think I was just busy and just completely forgot about it. Nobody said anything to me about it. So I just was like, oh, they'll just use the one that I took my freshman year. But they just had no, like, baseline for me because a lot can change in a year. So, like. Especially at that age when you, exactly. you know, your brain's still developing. Exactly. So that's definitely something I always tell people is take the impact test. It's in literally 45 minutes out of your day. Like. And you won't regret taking it because I regret not taking it myself. There's actually been like research that's come out that kind of says that the impact test isn't as effective as people think it is. So what do you yeah. think about that? Do you still think that you, um, you really truly believe that it would I don't, I don't think I would like you, diagnose somebody use, like, just simply using the impact test. But I think like it definitely is, like at least for me um, – you know, someone's going to reach a point like I am four years out, you know, someone's going to reach a point where their scores are going to be the absolute same on the impact test. You know, the only thing that's going to be different is at the beginning, you're given maybe I think like 10 questions and you have to rate your symptoms on a scale of zero to 10 or zero to five, something like that. 
So if you don't have a headache at that moment, you're going to have a zero, but you might still get the same like score as you would on the memory, like where you have to memorize like five words, you know? So like, I always think like, I think after, you know, like maybe a month, it just is not effective anymore because it, like for me, I could probably like, I probably have that test memorized. I think I've taken that thing like 30 times. Right. But you still didn't tell anyone when you had a concussion or that you were experiencing these symptoms so how could the impact test have helped you if you didn't say anything? I did. I mean, I think like, that's the big thing. Like you have to, you know, advocate for yourself and you have to be like, yeah, you know what? Like I got hit in the head. Something doesn't feel right. You know, retest me and compare the two, you know? And I also think like when you first take the baseline test, you know, you could be having a bad day or you could be, you know, not feeling well that day, or you could be tired and all of those factors like play into your score. So like, I think like sometimes I just think maybe the impact test isn't as effective, isn't as reliable, but overall, I think like you could get a decent, you know, view on where the person's like brain is at and where they're working, you know? But like you said, like if kids are, you know, faking their scores from the beginning, Mm -hmm. then like, why would they even bother like saying something at the end. So that's, that's definitely a, uh, a dilemma or a problem yeah. that's, we still have to because overcome with concussions. It's just yeah. not at my high school. Do it's you have any lot. ideas um, on how to kind of combat that to make it, you know, cheat proof? You can't cheat on it. Honestly, I think, you know, it's a computerized test and you take it on your own time. So you kind of either have to trust the student athletes that they're going to, you know, do it for themselves or, tell them the stories about people like me who cheated on it and look where I ended up, you know, like there's a lot, I think like maybe telling them stories of people who, you know, had bad like outcomes from not being truthful hundred percent on the impact test the first time. So I think like there's really no way to make sure that every single person that takes the impact test isn't cheating because I feel like it's going to happen. Right. Basically, you need to scare the shit out of them and then they'll, exactly. they'll do it. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've talked about the injury, let's talk about the symptoms or the post-concussion symptoms and how long you, you, you suffered from them. Are you still suffering from them? Yes, every single day. So this is four years out, you said? Yeah, it'll be four years in April. Right. So four years out from the concussion and Alicia's still experiencing symptoms. Can Can you tell? kind of talk about... You know, what the symptoms were, what kind of, you know, specialists you went to go see, what worked, what didn't, and um, and kind of like the, the physical, mental, and emotional toll that the whole process took. Okay, so I think like at the, at the beginning of, um, you know, when I first got my concussion in 2012, it was all mostly physical. So it was headaches, it was dizziness, it was constant nausea. Um, I was just, I had this pounding constant headache 24 seven. So that probably, you know, it was probably constant for maybe almost a year, constant headache from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep. Um, now it's come and go, but it's still every day. And it wasn't like, you know, take a, a couple Advil and it would go away or it would. Advil might, you know, Advil, I think my body is so used to taking it at this point that it might take the edge off, even it would be even back then. It would take the edge off a little bit, but it would never make it go away 100. Right. So even when it got so bad that my, you know, my dad would have to literally pick me up out of my bed 
put me in the backseat of the car and drive me to the ER just to get medication, you know, just to get an IV of something to make it go away. Like, even that, like, wouldn't do anything. How often would that happen? I would say maybe, like, It's like maybe like five times in the past four years I've had to do that. It's probably like once or twice a year, maybe. Do you know anything that like kind of triggers, you know, an episode like that? Honestly, I haven't quite figured out my triggers yet, and I'm still four years out. So I know that stress is a, is definitely a factor. Um, I would say, you know, stress, loud, like being in like a loud place, being with a lot of people. Um, uh. I would say, like, those are probably my three biggest factors that play into putting myself into, like, a really bad headache episode. All right. Um, so what was what was the emotional toll that you were going through? You, you, you know, you couldn't play soccer anymore. Who, like, who told you you couldn't play soccer anymore? What was that like, watching your teammates um, play? And, you know, you, something you played your whole life, I'm sure. Yeah. And I, I was there with, with football, and yeah. I was devastated when I couldn't play anymore. So mm-hmm. – can you kind of talk on that? Um, in I believe it was November of 2012. I just wasn't getting any better. Um, I was a couple months out, and my doctor had sat me and my dad down at the doctor's office, and he said, you know, these symptoms just aren't getting better. And she said, you know, I just don't think that soccer is in the cards for you at this point, you know, just to play again. It was my junior year. You know, I was looking – and possibly being recruited to go to college for it. And he just was like, I, it's just, you're done. You know, your career is over. It's done with. And that was kind of when the emotional, you know, aspect of all of this came into play. And it was constant depression, constant anxiety. And it's, I still deal with it every single day. And it's a huge, I would say the emotional aspect is stronger than the physical at this point. I would rather have, a 10 out of 10 headache where I am like throwing up then deal with depression. So what makes you upset? Is it because you can't play anymore or what? Mm-hmm. Like I, for, for me, I'll, I'll tell you what happened to me. So when I was like, when I was told I couldn't play football anymore, it wasn't that bad. Cause like it was bad watching my, my teammates out there. Cause I obviously I wanted to be out there, but I also had a huge scar on the side of my head and a hole in my skull to kind of remind me of like why I couldn't play. Mm-hmm. But you know, eventually when I got into college and stuff, like I really missed playing. I missed the team camaraderie. I wasn't, you know, I missed that whole thing. I would call my mom like crying, you know, my freshman year, I'm, you know, 18 years old and I'm crying to my mom still. Mm-hmm. And I just like hated the world. I hated my life. And yeah. it was, it was a real struggle and I think, I don't even know. I think part of it had to do because, like, the following season, my football team, you know, they were doing really well. And we always sucked when I played. And I was like, I was like, maybe it was me. And then, like, I don't know. I, I was definitely struggling. So what was it like for you? Um, I think, like, definitely the whole losing yourself. You know, losing who you were. You know, your identity, time. right. Exactly. And losing your identity. At that time, I was... You know, I've been playing soccer for practically my whole life. More, I've been playing soccer more than I haven't. And I think, you know, when you lose something that's been in your life for like 12 years, it's, it's like, it's like debilitating. It like, 
it crushes you and it makes you feel like there's like literally nothing that can make it feel better unless you start playing again. And it was a huge process in trying to find myself again and trying to, you know, when you're 18 years old it's, or 16 years old at the time, you know, that's already hard enough as it is. But I always had soccer as my outlet. And I was, I was an athlete and that was my way of who I was. Yeah, and, same thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that was taken away from me. And then I didn't know what to do. I was like, you know what? I have headaches every single day. That sucks. I'm throwing up all the time. That sucks. I can't go through a full day of school ever. That sucks. You know, I need help from my, you know, principals and my teachers. That sucks. You know, my friends don't understand. That sucks. You know, everything in my life at the time and still now is hard to, you know, grasp and come to terms with that I it was a split second that changed my life and so many things that I feel like I should have done or I could have done. And I blamed myself for a really long time. And I said, you know, why even deal with this anymore? Why even do this anymore? If this is what my life is going to be like. And it got so bad. The depression was so heavy and it was, it was, it came to the point where my life was very dark and like very dark and it was like Like you thought about killing yourself or something yes. mm -hmm. yeah and at the time that seemed like it was all part of the process and it was I mostly just, the identity it wasn't the symptoms that caused you to to go to that dark place it was the who am i now that yeah i, don't I would have say soccer. I would more of the identity than it was the symptoms and after you know i had said to my doctor i you know, my parents were worried about me and we had brought it up to my doctor and I had the number to a psychiatrist for months and I just didn't make the phone call because I didn't want to come to terms with the fact that, you know, I possibly might need therapy or possibly might need a medication to make this go away. And did you and ultimately go to therapy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm still in it now and it, I'm on medication that like, I'm on an antidepressant and I am, if you had, you know, asked me that months ago, I probably, or like a year ago, I probably would never have been able to say it, right. but I'm comfortable with, you know, speaking out on the fact that this is who I am now and this right. is what I have to do in order to, you know, live normal life. Yeah. I, I went to see a therapist also, um, during that time, my mom was always big on them too. And I went to go see a sports psychologist and I guess in my head, like a sports psychologist, I'm like, Oh, that's like kind of cool. So, yeah. but he really helped me through all this stuff, you know, like the mental battles that you play with yourself and the things that you say to yourself every single day, you know, mm -hmm. I, I highly recommend, you know, someone going through what we went through and what you're going through to talk to someone who's not your mom, who's not your friends. Well, they, they like, as much as they say that they understand, they don't understand. Yeah. And I was going to ask you this too. Do you think because concussions are an invisible injury that that's part of what makes it so hard is because it's people can't see it. on the outside. Yeah. You look like you're fine, mm -hmm. but on the inside, that's like you said, it's that dark place that, you know, it's tough. It's, it's a tough thing to even talk about because it's like, you know, you're so close with your, you know, your loved ones and your family and your friends. And just some people just will 
you don't want somebody to sympathize with you. You don't want somebody to be like, I'm so sorry. Like, you don't want someone to feel bad for you. Everything you happens know? for a reason. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you just want someone to understand. And until I found, like, the concussion community, I think that that was a huge reason for my depression as well because nobody understood and I felt like I was so alone and I felt like I was going crazy. And I definitely think that because of the people around me now and being a part of the concussion community, I, it pulled me out of that darkness. And I think like it still helps me even today, you know, like knowing that I'm not alone. Right. So you say that you're a part of the concussion community. So I'm assuming that it started with the knockout project. Yes. So mm -hmm. can you talk about how you got involved with the knockout project, what they're yeah. all about? We're going to interview Jay Fraga who is the founder of the Knockout Project um, in the next couple of weeks. So you'll hear an interview with him soon. Um, but yeah, to hear it from Alicia's perspective, who was an athlete who was, you know, seeking help and seeking, you know, a community and see how, it, how that helped her. Yeah. Um, it was right around, right around when I was told I wouldn't be able to play again. I was on YouTube. I was having a really bad night. And what were you searching? I was, like, I was searching. I can't play anymore. Syndrome. I was searching, you know, not being able to play sports again. I was searching all these things. And Jay had just recently posted a video of himself um, presenting at a hospital near him. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, so I sat there and I watched this video maybe three, four times. And it's a 20-minute long video. And I just was bawling my eyes out i was like finally, you were able to connect with what exactly. he was saying right? i was like finally i feel like someone needs like someone understands what i'm feeling so i stalked every social social media to get into contact with him i literally like creepily stalked i will admit it i stalked every social media to find this man and i finally found him on twitter direct messaged him on twitter and was like hey like just wanted to say thank you like I really appreciate, you know, you putting that video up. This is what I'm going through. You know, thank you again for putting this video up. And now it's one of the most, like, precious relationships I have in my life now is with Jay. And we talk every single day. And we go through this all together as, like, a knockout project family, if you want to call it. And, you know, Jay is kind of like the ringleader. And he brought me somewhere where I feel like I'm not alone and I'm comfortable with who I am. And, you know, having that relationship with somebody was able to bring me out of the darkness that I was in. And what kind of stuff do you guys talk about that helps? Um, you know, just saying, Oh my God, I have a really bad headache. And he'll be like, Oh, I know exactly what you mean. And I genuinely know he knows exactly what I mean. Or, you know, he'll kick my ass and he'll be like, you know, you have to do this. You have to call this doctor. Like, stop playing around. You have to do this. Like, I know it sucks. I know it hurts, but you have to do it. Right. And sometimes you just need someone to kick you and be like, come on. Like, you have to do this. And instead of having people be like, oh, we'll just do it when you're ready. Like, he knows what's at stake. And he knows that time is so precious with recovery. And, you know, having that relationship with him is amazing. We'll link up the Knockout Project in the show notes uh, for this episode um, could you also talk about how or like different the different specialists that you've gone to see and have any of the you know, their therapies helped at all? 
Um, okay. This is a very long list. <laughs> um, I've seen physical therapists, vestibular therapists, pain management doctors. I've seen injection specialists. I've seen massage therapists. I've seen chiropractors. I've seen psychiatrists. I've seen, um, let's see. I've seen neurologists. I've seen, um, I've seen eye doctors. I've seen vision therapists. I've seen, um, nerve therapists. I've seen, um, I think, oh, I've seen an Atlas chiropractor. Um, it's, it's like hard to, I think I made a list at one point and it was over like 25 doctors I've gone and seen over the past four years to kind of, you know, break this cycle of symptoms. And that's a big, that's a lot of time that I've spent in doctor's offices and a lot of money that my parents, I'm so thankful to have such amazing parents that have gone to the end of the world to find me doctors that are, that are going willing to help me. And, oh, I've seen surgeons. I've gotten multiple surgeries. I've had um, injections into my spine. I've had, um, yeah, I think that's about it, about all the doctors I've seen. But I think, like, the most, um, the doctors or the treatments that have been most successful for me is the Atlas Chiropractor, which he found um, probably a little over a year after my concussion, I found him. And he is based out of the next town over from me, so he's very close. Um, and he took an x-ray, and he found that my atlas, my C1, is 10 millimeters misaligned, which it should be between zero and one millimeters misaligned, if misaligned at all. So the fact that mine was 10 is huge. Right. Like, it, it, it showed a lot. Um, so after my first adjustment with him, it was, it went back to, I think, five or six millimeters. And he was very honest with me. He said, you know, Alicia, like, you're 10 millimeters out. It's going to be very hard, excuse me, to get that back to, you know, zero to one. And I was like, okay, but get it back to however close you can get it to do to make this feel a little bit better. And after that first adjustment, I had a killer headache before. And after that first adjustment, it wiped most of it out. And that was the very first treatment I ever got that completely made me feel a little bit better. And didn't make me feel worse before it got better. Just completely made me feel better. And I just remember the next day, my body was so sore because my neck was not used to being aligned again. And um, even now, he says, you know, I still see him. I've been seeing him for three years, and I see him all the time. And most people who receive this treatment are good, you know, they'll maybe get two treatments a year. And I was at one point, and still now, when I'm home, I'm getting two treatments a week. So... I, for probably two years before I left for college, my junior and senior year of high school, I was seeing him two to three times a week to get adjusted. And even now he's like, you know, you're making me bang my head against the wall because I don't know how to make your adjustments stick, but it's the only thing that helps really. So 
I literally owe him so much because he has given me a little piece of my life back because it always, always, always helps with the headaches and it always takes the edge off, even just a little bit. It always does. And I can always count on that to make me feel better. Along with, um, I've had trigger point injections into my um, shoulder, like my muscles up here, my shoulder muscles. Your traps, yeah. Traps, thank you. (laughs) Asking the physical therapist. Um, And I've had nerve blocks in my occipital nerve. And that has also helped a lot um, when it comes to like keeping my neck in alignment and also with the headaches a little bit. Um, I would say vestibular therapy helped a lot with my dizziness, but I almost reached a plateau after maybe a year of twice a week. And it was just, you know, my symptoms were constant, just weren't, you know, I kind of reached a point to where the treatments weren't working anymore and the therapy wasn't working anymore. So I stopped for a little bit. Um, I think I stopped for a year and then I went back. So I would say that that also helped me a lot. Um... Yeah, after I hearing think. all this, I think I'm lucky. I had a head injury <laughs> that probably should have killed me, but I never, I never had to deal with any of this post concussion stuff that you guys deal with. It like it's crazy to me, you know, how it just doesn't get any better. And you, you guys, it's it's definitely a grind. I I feel bad for you guys. I think at some point, you know, I I lost sight of the fact that this was going on in my body and the fact that I had symptoms like this and I was more focused and motivated on, you know, finding the right doctors. And I saw, I remember I saw a surgeon in Virginia and that was like a four hour drive just to see a a surgeon that might be able to help me, you know? And that was the point that I was at was I was traveling everywhere to try and find someone that could help me. And for me, it was more than, just trying to find someone to make my headache go away. It was more about, you know, finding someone to give me pieces of my life back right? and make my life a little bit normal. What's the name of the chiropractor? So then I could also put that in the, the show notes for people as a resource for, to, for them to use if that's something they, they want to try. His name is um, Angelo Colabita. Okay. And he is a doctor of Atlas Chiropractic. Okay. Um, it's called Atlas Orthogonal Chiropractic. And I got that. Um, and he's out of New Jersey, so he has two offices in New Jersey, one in South and one in North. And I've known a lot of people. He has people traveling from all over the country to see him. And I remember he had someone from, like, Spain come in to see him. Like, he, you For know, concussion stuff or other things? Other things, too. He's, like, oh, a okay. headache concussion. Like, he has a lot of concussion symptoms or um, patients. And I remember, like, when I'm a Wednesday night, you would the entire waiting room is all kids my age with concussions and headaches and going there. And he was so helpful. And, you know, if he felt that he would never leave me, he would never let me leave the office until he felt that I was okay. And there were many times that I, you know, thrown up in his office bathroom and many times that, you know, I've had mental breakdowns in his office, you know, and it's just something that for me was such a big, I don't know, such a big, like, he doesn't, there's a lot of people that don't benefit from it, but there are a lot of people that do benefit from it and don't realize, you know, that that C1 atlas bone has a lot to do with headaches and symptoms after concussions. And he's just, he's just an amazing doctor. (laughs) Awesome. 
Um, so you started speaking about your story at all sorts of different places. <laughs> Can you talk about where you've spoken? And you eventually spoke at the NFL panel for the United Nations one time. That's like a, it sounds yeah, legit. I know you were talking with NFL my, players. So That was my um, junior year of high school. I was contacted by Jack Brewer, who played for the Philadelphia Eagles, and I believe he played for another team and he has a foundation called the Brewer Foundation and or the Brewer Group Foundation. And he had seen one of my articles on the Knockout Project website. And he said, you know, he reached out to me and he said, you know, we don't have any student athletes on this panel that I'm putting on with the United Nations. And it was called the Coalition for Concussion Treatment. And it was a week before the it was the week, it was like the week before the Super Bowl was in New York a couple years ago. So it was in New York City. It was huge. There was a lot of media, and it was just like it was such a big deal to have it in New York before the Super Bowl. And I was amongst, you know, I was the only female athlete on the panel. I was the youngest, only amateur athlete on the panel, and I was surrounded by guys who were double my size. So were you intimidated at all or what? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was like literally almost like passed out and I was like sitting on the floor like it was so it was so legit like my parents couldn't even come down onto the floor like you had to have a pass to get down to the floor and I was like oh I was going crazy um and then I was surrounded by boxers soccer players football players all these big guys who you know were trying to I think the biggest thing was they were keeping a lot of things close so they weren't fully coming out and saying, you know what, concussions gave me this symptoms or that symptoms or I'm feeling this way. And I think it hit them hard when they had a 16-year-old girl stand up and say, I'm depressed. I have anxiety. I have headaches every single day. I deal with what you deal with. And I just remember, like, looking around me and realizing, like, holy crap, like, you're at the United Nations right now. Like, and I just remember looking over, I looked up, my mom's crying, you know, there's people behind me crying, and I had this big NFL player, Charles Mann, and he sat in front of me, and after I had done speaking, I sat down, and he turned around, pulled up his sleeve, and said, you know, I've been in this industry for, like, 40 years, and I've never been given goosebumps the way that you just gave me goosebumps. Wow, I got goosebumps just by you telling that. <laughs> and, you know, this guy's hand was the size of my head, like... I've like, it was just like, it gives me chills just thinking about it again. Like he said, you know, you're such an inspiration to me and, you know, I hope you get better. And I hope that, you know, he's like, I'm going to go home and tell my daughter, you know, everything that you just said. And how did it make you feel? It's weird. It makes me feel weird. Like it makes me feel good that like, I'm, you know, making a little bit of a difference in this community and that like, I just don't want people to make the same mistakes that I did. And I want people to learn from my experience, but it is also kind of weird when people tell me that like I inspire them because I just feel like I'm just, I'm just a kid, you know, like I'm just someone that's just trying to get through life. And if I can, you know, make someone's life a little bit easier, I definitely want to do that. And it's, it's still a crazy feeling every time I speak. Can you give an example of people who have, or kids who have reached out to you saying that you're an inspiration? Like how, how, how have you helped them oh, uh, specifically? Um, Definitely through the Nonkai Project, a lot of times we receive emails from kids younger than myself who are saying, you know, 
I don't know how to get through this. And I read your story and it literally, and it inspires me so much to do what you do. And I feel so much less alone. And being able to make those relationships with those like those kids and being able to talk to them about, you know, this is what you really have to do. This is what helped me, you know, like just being able to have those conversations and help them. And especially with parents, you know, I've made relationships with a lot of parents who are struggling with their kids going through this. And I just like, I just hope that, you know, the information that I'm giving them is helping them a little bit. And, you know, being able to, make connections with doctors as I travel around the country and speak at all these places, you know, some of these people, I, I'm like, you know what, let me email this doctor. Let me see if I can help you like kind of connecting people. And I think like, it's, it's almost become like my new sport and that's what I call it. It's my new sport. And that's that's a good way to look at it. I love that. Yeah. And I think like it is hard sometimes because the concussion community can be very negative but um, Wait, how so? I think a lot of people are in the dark. A lot of people are depressed. A lot of okay. people are suffering. That's what you meant. All right, got you. And it's hard sometimes because you know what that feels like, and sometimes you feel that way too. And it's hard because you don't want anybody to feel that way. And trying to pull somebody out of the dark can be tough sometimes. But I think everybody that goes through this is amongst the strongest people on this planet. Awesome. I agree. All right, so you're now a communications major at um, at Towson, and mm-hmm. you, you picked that major because of your you know your passion to spread concussion yeah. awareness. So can you kind of mm-hmm. talk about how you know, like, talk about your decision to become a, a communications major and what your plans are for the future and what your ultimate goals are uh, coming mm-hmm. up? I think like I love public speaking. I love being around people. I love you know talking to people. I'm not the kind of person that would be able to sit behind a desk and have, and be able to do that. Like I can't, I need to, you know, with being around people, you know, all the time through these like conferences I go to and all these places that I speak at, like I love talking to people and what better way than to major in communications. So with this, you know, I want to, you know, possibly work for ESPN or somewhere where there's a, a platform that like, involves the things I do now. So, you know, sports and, you know, maybe heads and tails if I blow up, you know, exactly. (laughs) And like sports and health kind of together is definitely what I want to do with something, something involving communications with that. I'm with you. All right. So what are your, your major regrets? And then let's finish on, uh, what advice you would give to people with, um, post-concussion syndrome who are in that dark place that, that you were in and um, we'll, we'll end it there. I think my biggest regret was keeping to myself. And I think my biggest, I think it's, sorry. Mm-hmm. I think I was always, I don't know, I always just kept all of my thoughts to myself. And I never really like expressed them to my parents who could have helped me or express them to my teachers and, and ask for help. I never asked for help. And I always kept things to myself. And that's my biggest regret. Because once I did start asking for help, my life got so much easier. And I was so ashamed of what I was feeling and my physical pain that I just always thought that there was something wrong with me. So that's definitely my biggest regret. Um, as for like the advice I would give, 
somebody um, going through this, definitely is, again, ask for help. And don't be ashamed of what you're feeling because there's a lot of people out there that are feeling just the same way that you are. Um, okay. And don't be afraid to you know, talk to your doctors and make those connections with your doctors who are also there to help you, you know, like it's not all about getting back into the sport because that was my mentality. And if you just sit out one or two games, you'll feel, you'll be so much better. Instead of sitting out the rest of your life, which is what both of us are doing. Because now that's the message, right? I'll never be able to play for the rest of my life. And I had to give up that sport because I was I was so like aimed at getting back into the game that I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about how I was feeling and getting myself better. Yep. No, so for yeah. me, that's definitely the biggest advice I would give. That resonates with me like on point because exactly what you said, like had I sat out a game or two, I probably could have kept playing. Maybe, I don't know if I could have played in college, exactly. but I could at least finished out my senior year. And exactly. I don't know if you ever saw the E60 with Preston Plevridis. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the other kid who had second impact syndrome, but he didn't yes. fare as well as I did. And what always got me and made me cry was when he said he was trying to learn how to talk well enough. Oh, that to, video gets me. Stuff. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he's trying to learn how to talk well enough to make so, so he could you know tell people his story so they didn't make the same mistake that he made. And I'm thinking here, like, you know. I I'm full. I have like full cognitive abilities. I have no issues yeah. other than I can't play football anymore. So, I wanted to be a, the voice for this kid, um, yeah. and that's what he said too. He's like, you know, had I sat out, you know, I probably could have kept playing, but because I yeah. didn't, I had to sit out the rest of my life, and that's yeah. something that definitely uh, brings the the tears uh, in my eyes a little bit because that's exactly how I feel. Exactly. Um, I want to backtrack because I just remember something after you were, were talking about your, your regrets. Um, yeah. Could we just finish by talking about the 504 plan and how that helped yes. you? Because I, I know some parents might not be aware of the 504 plan yeah. and what accommodations can be made for kids who have uh, post-concussion yeah. syndrome. So when, when I was going to my um, sports medicine doctor who was managing my concussions, I left every appointment with a note that said, you know, please excuse Alicia from class if she, if she, if symptoms arise or please give her more time on tests or quizzes or assignments, things like that. But those papers can only go so far. So around my junior, you know, coming in and handing these to my guidance counselors, to my teachers, you know, they were like, we need to get you on a 504 plan. And that is where I met my high school's 504 plan officer, who was one of the assistant principals. And she, that woman, I will tell you 100%. If you read the article I wrote on the Knockout Project about 504 plan. I'll like, post it in the, she sh- saved in the show life. notes. Yeah, she saved, that woman saved my life. She gave me a 504 plan, which is basically a a mandated, like, signed off federally, like, you have to follow it. Teachers have to follow it. Um, it's a accommodations list. So it gave me extra time on tests. It gave me extra time on quizzes. It gave me extra time on assignments. And it excused me from absences that I missed because of my symptoms. So every time I went to the doctors, I just brought in that note. And she just said, okay, like, this is still going on. So it kept... You know, I kept my 504 plan going on until the end of my senior year, until I graduated. 
And I feel so bad because a lot of schools don't follow this for kids that have post-concussion syndrome, but it's such a big deal because it's just the same as anybody, anybody else who needs accommodations. You know, they're physically, emotionally, mentally, you know, impaired because of this injury and they need that help. And I, it, it, it helped me a hundred million percent. It helped me. It changed me academically. It gave me an opportunity to actually succeed in the classroom more, you know, because I went from an honor student, AP honor student to, you know, taking a regular course and not even doing well in math. And once I was given this opportunity to get this 504 plan, have my parents sign off on it, have all my 504 officers, my 504 plan team sign off on it. And it was implemented with my teachers. We had a big meeting with all my teachers. They understood what was going on. And after that was implemented, my entire life was changed. And it took off so much pressure, so much weight off my shoulders academically. And I felt like I was succeeding again. And my grades were so much better. And yeah, sometimes my, you know, my academic year had to be pushed off a little bit into the summer. And I'd probably be in school, you know, I'd be taking my finals later after everybody was already done, but I did so much better on them than I would have without this 504 plan and without those accommodations. And even if a teacher isn't as accommodating, they have to file that 504 plan. Right. They don't have a choice. They, it's exactly. And that was, that's what was the best part about it is right. it was, you had this to fall back on if you needed it. And once I realized it was okay to ask for help, and it was okay to get this out of floor plan. That was when everything changed for me. Stop trying and to be a tough guy, like, just like uh, playing exactly. with a concussion. Yep. Exactly. Um, is there accommodations in college also? Is there something yeah. similar? Mm-hmm. And are mm-hmm. you still yeah. u- using that service right now? Yeah. Um, right now, I am a part of what's called, at least at my um, university, it's called Dis- Disability Support Services. And it's almost like a 504 plan. It's a little different because you have to advocate for yourself rather than having a 504 plan officer advocate for you. Okay. So I, at the beginning of every semester, I go to the DSS office and they give me my 504 plan accommodations list. It's not called a 504 plan in college, but it's similar. And it's a paper that I have to give to my professors and have that conversation with my professors. I don't have to tell them what's going on. I don't have to tell them. I don't have to give them any doctor's notes. I just give them that paper and they follow it. Okay. So it's a little bit easier in college than it was in high school when it comes to that. But it's I'm very lucky again to have that available to me here in college. And all schools have that. All colleges and universities have that. Um, Every school that I've seen definitely has it. Okay. Every school I looked at. All right. Awesome. Uh, I don't want to hold you up anymore. I know you're studying for finals, and I appreciate you taking out 50 minutes of your day to uh, to talk with us. Um, but yeah, thanks again, Alicia. I definitely would love to have you on in the future. Kind of follow your your progress and see you know where you're speaking and if you have any uh, other tips you know that you you come across. Um, but I, I thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Alicia. I'll talk to you soon. I'd like to thank everyone for their continued support over the last few months of the Heads and Tails podcast. And I'd also like to remind everyone of the Chianti story GoFundMe that we started to hire him a Paralympic track coach. Um, If you guys want to help the cause, you could find the link to the GoFundMe at 
uh, headsandtails.org backslash Keontae. That's K-I-O-N-T-E. In addition, if you haven't uh, subscribed on iTunes, go over and do that. Uh, also, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram to stay up to date on all the interviews that we have lined up and to never miss an episode. I think the most appropriate ending to this episode would be just to leave you with this, this statement right here. You could either sit out for one game or you could sit out for the rest of your life. You decide. See you next week, guys.